God, thanks for your grace and your mercy, and thanks that uh, even when things don't go as planned, we know that you have a plan. God, I thank you for the people that are here to worship and the people that are here to serve you. And God, I just pray that you would continue to grow our church, that you continue to strengthen our church. God, that we would continue to see lives transformed for the gospel as people take their next steps toward you. And God, I pray that as we uh, have been distracted, I pray, God, that our hearts would be able to rest in you. And God, that we would be able to come back into your word, that we'd be able to be challenged by your spirit. And God, that you would be able to speak to us despite uh, the confusion that just happened, God. Thanks for your grace and your mercy. Thanks that... uh, uh, we all make mistakes, and uh, even if it was my son, uh, that he'll survive the week. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. The good life. Um, yes, Titus chapter 1, guys. We're going to be starting a series. First, let me say this real quick. Pastor Mike, my name is Rick. If you're here for the first time wondering who is this guy, I'm used to Pastor Mike. My name is Rick. I'm the executive pastor at Grace. We started the Conway campus uh, and handed that campus off to Pastor Chris. Pastor Mike usually is preaching here, but Pastor Bobby, who is at Oviedo, is on vacation this week. So Pastor Mike is preaching at the Oviedo campus. I'm preaching here. Chris is preaching at Conway. What we love about Grace is we have a multitude of pastors, a multitude of voices, and we're not building the church on any of our personalities. And so we're not saying, this guy's amazing and you should come hear him. We're saying that God speaks through his pastors and God speaks to his church. And as we come together collectively and pray together and serve together and labor together, that God speaks to his church. And God uses his church to advance the gospel through the world and especially through us in Central Florida. And so what we're going to be doing today is looking at Titus, the story of Paul, an apostle, an evangelist, and a church planter who was advancing the gospel through his world, much like we're advancing the gospel through our world. Now, I want to say this too. While Pastor Mike is away, I get to talk about him for free. So don't tell him that I said this, but he is a joy to work with. He is a great friend of mine. And he is somebody that I am thankful that God has brought to Orlando to start Grace and thankful that God has allowed my wife and I to partner with him. We love what God is doing at Grace. We love the team that God has assembled at Grace. And I want to say this. What is happening at Grace, which is phenomenal, we're starting new campuses, we're seeing the gospel advance, we're seeing every week lives transformed by the gospel, is not just happening because of the pastors, but it's also happening as a result of all of you. And what you do as the church, as you give yourself to the church. We said this a few weeks ago, if you weren't here. Every week at Grace, we have seven to 800 hours volunteered. All right, get that. Seven to 800 hours every week are volunteered to the church. A half hour at a time, an hour at a time. Some of you 15, 20 hours at, at a time. But that means 20 full-time jobs that we're not paying anyone to do. It is the church coming together to advance the gospel. So you guys are doing a great job. And I want to say thank you to you as a pastor for serving with us, for laboring together with us, for getting the vision that is bigger than us, and for advancing the gospel in Central Florida. So thank you guys for that. As we jump into Titus, I just want to kind of lay the groundwork for you. If you are new to the Bible, sometimes you open it up and you're like, I don't really get what's going on here. And so I want to help you understand what's happening in this book, Titus, right? Titus is a letter written by a guy named Paul to another guy named Titus, right? Hence the name. Be like, if you wrote a letter to me, we would call it Rick, all right? And so this is a letter written by Paul to Titus. Paul is an evangelist and a church planter. And so he is traveling around the world, preaching the gospel and starting new churches, just moving from city to city to city. Now what you need to know about Paul is this. Paul was not always a Christian and not always a worshiper of Jesus. In fact, Paul started his life as a Jewish man who was leading the Jewish church and he hated Christians. Right? And so he is one day on his way to a city to arrest the church there. So there's a church meeting. There are people who are Christians worshiping Jesus. And Paul says, 
I'm going to go to that city, I'm going to arrest those Christians, and if I'm lucky, I will get to see some of them executed. And as Paul is making his journey to this city, God shows up, and Jesus blinds him, knocks him down, and says, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? Paul says, "Uh, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And he says, you're going to be a preacher from now on, and you're going to preach the gospel. Now, if God shows up, blinds you, knocks you down, and gives you a charge, what do you do? Like, yes, sir. All right? Okay, and so Paul's like, all right, I'm going to be a preacher. And so the rest of his life, he was just traveling around preaching. And what we see here is Paul is writing this letter to a guy named Titus. Titus is not a Jewish person. He was a Gentile. And so he was a Greek convert to Christianity. So he became a Christian as an adult out of a Greek culture, right? Out of a culture that was polytheistic, worshipped a bunch of gods, It was a very promiscuous culture, a very immoral culture. It was known for its evil. And Paul is writing this letter to Titus, and he says, I'm going to leave you on the island of Crete, which is the largest Greek island in the Mediterranean. Not a bad place to retire. It's this nice place, the middle of the Mediterranean. So I'm going to leave you there to travel around to the city because the gospel had been moving through the island, but no one was setting up leaders. And so Paul says, Titus, I want you to go to that island. I want you to travel city to city. I want you to appoint elders and organize the church, and here's how you do it. And he writes this letter to help Titus have the instruction on how to organize the church. And so as we read this, you just need to know it's a letter written from Paul to Titus about how to organize the church, and in doing so, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you information on how to organize your life. Now, we asked this question last week, if you are here. How many of you have ever realized that sometimes your beliefs and your behaviors do not come together? Like, you have these beliefs that you don't act upon, and you have these behaviors that you're like, why did I just do that? I'm the only one. Great. Right? You're going through life sometimes, you're just like, what just happened? Like, I'm sure my son, or whoever that was back there, was like, why did I just pull that alarm? Now, if they haven't asked that question yet, they probably will before the day is over, right? But we, we have these moments where we do something, and then we say, you know, that's not really what I believe. I'm not sure why I acted like that. And if it's not you, then you have people in your life that you're like, what are they thinking? You ever read a Facebook post and you're like, what? For real? You just put that out there for the world? But here's what's going on, guys. When you act in a way that you think is contrary from your beliefs, it's not, right? What's wrong is you have something deeper that you believe. You may have a thought in your head that you say, that's my belief, but you have a motivation in your heart that is the true belief that is driving that behavior. And what we're going to see, Paul, as he explains to Titus, is he's going to tell us that our behavior always stems from our belief. And what we believe is determined, determined, or what, what we believe determines how we live, all right? How many of you have ever at some point in your life, be honest, believed a lie? Like someone told you something and you just bought it, like hook, line, and sinker. Like maybe it was the seventh grader, the guy that looked at you and was like, baby, I'm going to love you forever. Or maybe you were the seventh grader, like baby, you and me. As I was thinking through this idea that sometimes we believe lies, and here's the frustrating part about believing a lie. You believe the lie and then it modifies your behavior. You act based on a lie because you put faith and belief in the lie. And as I was thinking through this, there's been some lies in recent history that a lot of people have bought into. How many of you have ever heard of the guy, Bernie Madoff? Right, Bernie Madoff was a financier. He was a guy who started a business in the 60s, 
an investment company. He was well-known in the field. He actually served on the board of the SEC. And he ran the most profitable financial scam in U.S. history. He stole from his client $65 billion. He he built this life on the premise that I'm going to create returns and promise things that are not there so that I will have the good life. And he had a good life, at least as it appeared for a while. And then what happened in 2008, he told his sons, my company, our business, is one big lie. And they turned him in the next day. Bernie Madoff is serving a 150-year prison sentence right now. One of his sons has committed suicide. Other employees and other employees' children have committed suicide. And his life came crumbling down around him. And not just around him, but around the people that trusted him and gave their money to him. Life just came crumbling down for these guys. How many of you remember in the early 90s a drug called FinFin? Right, I'm dating myself here, but the commercials came on right after Saved by the Bell. All right? You remember them? They were on all afternoon. Are you struggling with stubborn belly fat, they would say? And then you take FinFin, and all of your problems will go away, and you can have the good life. You've been struggling your whole life with that stubborn belly fat. You take our pill, and man, it's going to melt the fat away. And it did. And so millions of Americans bought into this drug. They believed this drug would fix them. The problem was 18 to 24 months later, they were at the cardiologist because their heart valves were collapsing and their blood pressure was skyrocketing. And now their life is in misery because they took this drug for 18 months. But what happened is they believed something and it changed their behavior. And the reality was the belief was driven by an underlying desire to have a better life. And I want you to see through Titus today that you and I base our actions on our beliefs. We live out of our beliefs. And so if you are sitting here today and you're saying, I have these actions that I don't understand, what I want to challenge you today is not to go after those actions, but to go after the belief that is driving those actions. What is it that's causing you to act in that way? And so Paul writes to Titus, look with me in chapter 1, verse 1. If you've got one of the Bibles that we've provided, it's going to be on page 857. And Paul writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as you read this passage of Scripture, just four verses, you may say, Rick, there's not a whole lot going on here. Like, are you really going to preach to us out of these four verses? There's a whole lot going on in this text. There's a whole lot going on here, and I want you to see what Paul is doing, because what he's trying to paint the picture for Titus to understand, what we believe determines how we live. Now, Crete... This island in the Mediterranean was known for some things, right? It's important that you get this. Crete was known as the birthplace of the gods. Right? Have you ever heard of Zeus before? The story goes that Zeus was born on the island of Crete. The prophecy had been told that Zeus would overthrow his father and become the supreme god and rule everything. And so his father started eating his children. Greek mythology here, all right? 
And Zeus's mother wanted to protect Zeus, so when Zeus was born, she took a stone and she wrapped it in swaddling clothes and she gave it to Zeus's father and he ate the stone instead of Zeus. And then Zeus grew up hidden in a cave on Crete and he became God. And the Cretans didn't stop there. They said not only is Crete the birthplace of Zeus, Crete is the burial place of Zeus. And so we have the cave that he was born in, we have the cave that he's buried in. Crete was started as a sociological experiment to see if people could be kind and good to each other. And that as they came together, they would create this harmonious, utopian society. But by the time Titus is showing up and Paul is showing up, here's what was written about them. Epimenides, one of their own philosophers, said this. He said, all Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so their culture was one that was defined by, we are the birthplace of the gods, And yet their own people said, no, we're all liars, we're evil beasts, we're lazy gluttons. And this is the culture that Titus is now taxed with going in and establishing leaders of the church. Now, some of you are like, man, that must be a rough job. Not a whole lot different than what we got going on today, right? It's just not. I mean, people are people. And people do dumb things and stupid things. This is why you and I are saying, why do people act that way? This is why you and I look at our own life and say, why are we doing these things? And so... Paul writes to them, and he begins to clarify the gospel for them. I want you to see this. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly enough, when Paul writes all of his other letters, here's what he says. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. So if you read the other letters that Paul's written in the New Testament, he will all start, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. But in this letter, he says, Paul, a servant of God. So we ask the question, why does he introduce himself this way? Well, if you are writing to the people who live on the birthplace of the gods, he says, I don't want to attach myself to Jesus, who they would see as a prophet who has shown up early on the scene. He says, I want to attach myself to God, the creator of the universe, the maker of all things, the one who has built Crete and established Crete, and the one who has created us. And so he's going to write, he says, I am a servant of God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David, the God of Jeremiah. We have this long history and this long line of prophets in which God has spoken to the people, and I am a servant of this God, the God who trumps Zeus. This is important for us today because the question becomes, who are you and I going to believe? Are we going to believe the gods of this age and the gods of our world and the lies that people purport and say, this is the truth that you need to build your life on? Or do we believe God, the maker of all things? And he says, and I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who manifests himself and dies for our sin and trades places with us so that we can have life and we can know God. And Paul is now writing here, teaching them theologically who Jesus is, who God is. And here's what he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. I want you to see this. Paul says, everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm writing, every bit of my labor is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. How many of you have ever been frustrated with God before? I know we're at church, but you can be honest. You've been frustrated. How many of you are frustrated this week? You're like, God, what are you doing? Don't you understand what's going on in my life? Don't you see my husband? Don't you see my wife? Don't you see my kids? Don't you see my boss? God, don't you see me? Like, what is going on in my world right now? God, don't you understand? Ah! I'm the only one that's been there, right? We are frustrated sometimes, but here's what Paul says. He says, I'm laboring for the sake of what? I'm not laboring for the sake of God's elect. I'm laboring for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul says, I'm laboring for your faith. 
I want you to hear, God is laboring for your faith. Why would God labor for your faith? Let's just think about that. Some of you are surprised. God labors for your faith because what you believe will determine how you live. And what you place your faith in will determine the actions that flow out of your life. And so for those people who said, I'm going to place my faith in Bernie Madoff. Right? We don't think about it in those terms, but that's what you're doing. When you turn over your retirement to someone, you are placing your faith in them, and you are believing that they will do what they say they're going to do. And so for the people that said, I place my faith in Bernie Madoff, their faith was placed in a man who swindled them, stole from them, and bankrupted them. And so Paul says, place your faith in God who is laboring for your faith. God is laboring for your belief. He is laboring for you to know him and to walk with him and to believe in him. And we get frustrated. Why? Because you want God to labor for your comfort, right? You want God to labor for your happiness. You want God to labor for the circumstance of your life to go exactly as you think they should go. And let's be honest, when you're frustrated with God, why are you frustrated? Because life is not going as you think, right? The gap between what I expect and what I experience is the disappointment that makes me say, God, where are you? And God wants you to know that what bridges these two points is faith. And you understand that if you just lived a perfect, comfortable life, and I mean, you just woke up in the morning and everything was up and to the right, you got the great raise every year, your boss was just like, well, good morning, how are you today? What can I do for you? Your children just dutifully obeyed and never pulled fire alarms. They just did exactly what they were supposed to do all the time. You realize that your faith would be diminished? And cognitively you realize that, but do you realize that God's laboring for your faith? And in those moments when you cannot get the gap to 